I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the sound guys, the editors, the costume designers, the production designers, the composers, you name it, and in some cases even authors, Uh, you name it, we talk to them, Uh, and... You all know I like talking, so that's a given. Um, for those of you tuning in today, you're tuning in where you can find us every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, live on AdrenalineRadio.com. Or if you're so inclined and you're doodling on your computer, you can always go to the Facebook, uh, to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, and you can watch the boring live stream of me sitting in the studio um, the only thing ever worth seeing are the tablescapes that I change up. Today's I have, didn't change up too much, but uh, I'll come up with something fun for next week. Uh, but, and if you miss us live, you can always find us on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Because once we go, once we're on there after the live show, um, then we're also, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Podbean, uh, I'm trying to think of all the places we are, but we're on all the platforms, on the podcast platform, so you can always find the show. And of course, every single behind the lens radio show is archived and available 24/7 on the website behindthelensonline.net. And there's lots of other great stuff on there too that you don't get on the show. You've got <clears throat> thousands of movie reviews on there. You've got other interviews that aren't even on the show. Um, just lots of trailers, lots of great stuff. So check it out. Um, very excited. And I got to tell you, Pam, my sound engineer brought up a very interesting point about vacuuming today. And today just happens to be, and I didn't know this, there is a holiday. There is an occasion day for, it is National Clean Your Room Day. Needless to say, I, I will not be subscribing to that to that occasion today. Uh, (laughs) But, hey, how many of you tuned in to the virtual TCM Film Festival uh, that just ended last night? Wow. Between TCM and the TCM Hub on HBO Max, it was as frenzied trying to come up with a viewing schedule as it is or maybe not quite as, because you've got like five venues when it's live in Hollywood. But juggling, it was just as exciting and just as nerve-wracking trying to figure out, what do I see? Oh, I've seen this one. I really like this one. Um, I did pass on, although I love the film, Black Narcissus was screening again. Once you've seen that in Silver Nitrate uh, at the beautiful Egyptian theater, um, there's no going back to watching it any other way. So I passed on that one. But there were a lot of great, great films. Uh, some new silence that had uh, new musical compositions uh, done by Ben Modal. Um, just really top-notch once again. But boy, I'm going to be glad when we're back live and in person in Hollywood next year with TCM Film Festival. But all in all, it was another great, great festival. And for those of you that may have missed it, you can still go back to the TCM website and see what's screened. And then you can hunt around on TCM, the TCM app, and then keep your eye out on TCM itself for some films that you may still want to take a look at that you didn't see during the fest. So there's always that wonderful, wonderful option. So as for today's show, very excited about today's show. Joining us at the midpoint of the show, 
are two exciting new filmmakers. And when you see their film, exciting is the word that comes to mind. Eric Silvera and Sean Keneally in action. They are writers, directors, stars. And what they have done is really made an action movie with two people implementing all the tools of, of the cinematic trade and come up with a an darn fun action film. So you don't have $200 million, so you're not the Russo brothers, and you can't do all your practical chases and stunts out on the street and, and close down a block. But you can sit in a darkened studio and make something look very staged, like very theatrical, like you're escaping in a car, sitting on, you know, old an old bench car seat. Um, really some ingenious things in this film. Uh, I can't wait to talk to the boys about it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it's available tomorrow on digital. In action. Uh, if you just want to laugh and have a good time, it's, it's a great movie. So Eric and Sean are going to join us at the midpoint of the show. But before then, uh, a film I am in love with. It is on my must-see list for 2021 already. It is called High Ground. It is from director Stephen Maxwell Johnson, written by Chris. I'm, I'm going to screw Chris's name up. Anastasiotis, I think is how you say it. It is shot in Australia. Uh on sacred ground in Australia, no less. And what this film does is uh, Stephen and Chris take some one of the many frontier events that happened at the early part of the 20th century when British was taking, you know, quote-unquote land grabs in Australia. And there were a lot of frontier events that happened with... The Aborigines coming in to, you know, trying to burn down uh, British encampments that were set up or missionary schools because they wanted to protect their sacred land that has gone back to the beginning of time. Uh, Chris and Stephen focus on one event and they craft a story around that. Um, the film stars Simon Baker as Travis, a former military man. Uh, and introduces us to this amazing, amazing young Aboriginal man, Jacob Nauangul, who plays the character of Guchuk. Um, it is the story Jacob's uh, Guchuk's family is killed by the white colonials, by the British Army. And we fast forward, and he survives. We fast forward 12 years later, and he has been in a missionary school. He was saved by uh, the military man, Travis, Simon Baker's character. And he placed him in a missionary school since the, the child had, there were no relatives around that anyone was aware of. Uh, and right there, that sets a tone that you don't normally see or hear about in history books. And... We fast forward 12 years, and now the, the story takes on a whole different look as Guchuk and Travis go on a trek across the Australian outback through these sacred lands. And in my interview with Stephen, he goes in great depth talking about the people and getting permissions and working with the tribal families to have access to the lands and then the care that had to be taken and the history of the land. Um, from a cinematic stand, the story itself, you're engrossed. It's powerful. It's engrossing. And yes, you will need tissues. Third act comes, you need tissues. So have them at the ready. The cinematography by Andrew Comus is dazzling. It is breathtaking. It captures the most beauteous land 
you will ever see. But what stands out even more uh, the minute this film starts is the soundscape. This is, there's not a, a, a traditional score here. The soundscape are the, the sounds of nature. It's the sound of a snake slithering over a rock. It's the sound of birds circling. It's the sound of dragonflies and flies um, and just creatures of nature. Um, this celebrates the mystery and the beauty that is Australia and the history. Um, and Nick Edmond is, was a sound recorder. Chris Goodis did the sound design. It is stunning. The only music in the film is traditional native, traditional tribal in a couple instances, and it's performed with traditional instrumentation. Uh, there is, the film is award-worthy on every level. It is magnificent. It did come out in Australia last year. It was impacted by the pandemic, but Australians did get to see it. It is now finally coming here to the American shores. Uh, it is in, it is available on, when is it available? This Friday, May 14th, on on demand and on digital. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It will take your breath away. And it will shine a new light on history for you. But Stephen and I go in-depth talking about the history, talking about the cinematography, talking about the, sand, uh, the sound, talking about the performances and this relationship that develops between Travis and Gutchuk, which, as you will hear him talk about, Simon and Jacob developed that very same kind of father-son dynamic. Uh, so without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Stephen Maxwell Johnson talking about high ground. Hi, Stephen. Debbie, behind the lens, how are you? I am so excited to be talking to you after watching this film. I am in love with it. Oh, that's... um. Really, really lovely. Well, look, it's lovely to be talking to you. I'm in, I'm in Darwin in North Australia and there's dragonflies hovering around everywhere. There's a change of season up here and it's uh, lo lovely to be talking to you as well and I'm very thrilled to hear that you enjoyed the film. I want... The, the thing that jumped out at me immediately is your soundscape. I want a soundtrack just of all the ambient sounds of nature that you have that is nice oh yeah, it okay. is it's magical it is magical to hear the flies to hear the wind uh to hear the snake that scene with the snake slithering on the rock and you can hear it the sound is so impeccable and it really puts us into the spirit of the aboriginal people and it's magical Oh, that's uh, really heartening to know. And I know there's a lot of lot of people, a lot of Benning and all my friends right across would really love hearing you say that because it's, um, you know, so very much their story, so very much their connection um, to everything, which is what we were trying to convey with the sound, was that immersion, that whole idea that, you know, Yungu and Binning people don't see themselves as living on or at country, they are country, they're part of it, and they're related and connected to every single sound and life force that is, you know, the earth, the sky, the trees, everything. And it's it's a beautiful way to, to think and to be connected, and it's the oldest human connection on earth culturally, and um, it's a lovely thing to to be a part of and to connect with and to work with and to dream with and to sing with and to actually, you know, make a film um, that's c trying to convey the essence of that and the, the soundtrack, the song lines in the soundtrack, the milkery, the crying, the, the song lines themselves are telling deep, deep old stories about country and, and place and connection and identity and detail and, and it was about really working with those elements uh, with the elders and the, the families to make that a really important 
important part of the dialogue in a sense, the storytelling and, and what, what the film ultimately was wanting to feel for itself. Oh, and you definitely, you succeed on every level. Um, I felt <laughs> I felt transported, emotionally transported, physically transported. And then, I mean, I could just close my eyes and listen to this film. Um, but then you give us... Yeah, you could, you could, yes, yeah. Then you give us these glorious visuals, your overhead, your aerial shots, drone shots... They give us this beautiful landscape. Your opening shot. Oh, my God. That, uh, uh, I thought that would be the money shot of the film. No, you have so many more. But that opening shot with the pink sun, you know, setting behind the rock just blew my mind. And then we start get that connects us immediately with the people, with the story. And even though this beautiful, is well, that just just on on that for you that 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 rock's called Nimboa. It's the, the most sacred rock in Western Arnhem Land, and it's the the, the, the dreaming place of the Junkawu sisters, the two sisters, creation sisters that came from the east and travelled right across, uh, old and young sister, and they came to rest there. One looks east and one looks west, and as we come around that rock, I was hoping you would perhaps see the, the human form there looking to the east as a, as a, a sort of almost a silhouetted yeah, it's a shot profile. of the two faces. One looks east, one looks east. Yeah, and they're the two sisters. So it's a very, very sacred place. And that song line that's been sung during that time is a healing song and a journey song um, traveling across country and bringing us bringing us into the idea of this this story so it's you know it's lovely that you're affected in that way because that's precisely what's going on well and and throughout the telling of this story your cinematographer andrew comas i mean i'm familiar with andrew's work and to, yep. to see what the two of you do here and the way he uses the camera to capture the faces you just look at the faces of these people and you see life, you see history, and then you see it unfolding um, in this story. It's rare that I'm a big fan of clo this many close-ups, but they are so important in telling this story. And with every one, you feel more connected than the last. It, it's incredible what the two of you have done. lovely to hear you say that and it was you know very much what we we set out to do and I mean my early work working with indigenous peoples it was always about the detail the human eye what you see the immersion of that I mean we went you know I wanted to do this in this division as 166 so we've got the height we've got the the width you fall into it so it's trying to give that human eye perspective and immersion in the world and you know the use of wider angle lenses and really every shot's handheld it's alive it's in the film as opposed to sitting outside it and trying to capture that that energy that human life force was very much what we were setting out to do and to, to to dive into those eyes and those landscapes and to be immersed in the sound so you know to, to hear you say you know responding to those things is really appreciated and, and very very beautiful and i can tell you that would mean uh, i can't wait to to update the elders and the families about you know some of these things that i'm hearing from people like yourself because that's sort of been part of our journey and process of wanting to to put that that feeling out there and it's lovely to to feel that people are responding to that because it's uh, coming from a really old place mm -hmm. <laughs> how did this story come to you Stephen? Well, look, yeah, well, look, it's, um, well, Chris and I, uh, Chris is the writer and I have known each other for a very, very long time and we, we previously made a film called Younger Boy. I was very, very lucky um, to have grown up uh, in my life in the Bahamas first, then to Africa, and then we came out to Australia, North Australia. My father was an educator in remote schools and I was um, always, always, uh, my friends were Indigenous people and that was my contact. They were my relationships, there were the stories that came with that, 
and my perspective was very, very different on the world. It was kind of, that was my real life experience. And, you know, going to school and hearing about Whitefella history and Captain Cook arriving and all this shit about, you know, not nothing to do with settlement, but conquest and happening all around the place. But I got to hear the deeper story and the deeper the deeper truth about what took place in this country and and the, the idea that you know it is the oldest living culture on earth the old the, the oldest human connection to country um that's still sung and celebrated through art and dance and 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 and, and all of this this kind of stuff and and song and language and um Really, that was my experience growing up, and I'd heard about the massacres, I'd heard about all these things, and I wasn't learning about it in school. And if ever I challenged the notion that there was a bigger story, it was just discarded, as that history has been in this country forever and a day. It's just been swept under the carpet. However, the song is coming out now. It's been sung strong by a lot of people, and uh, you know, high grands in 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 on that, and a part of that song, and. Um, it's a, it's a big song and it's something I grew up with. So it was a very much a natural process for me. You know, I gravitated towards uh, wanting to let that voice be heard. I wanted to be heard. I wanted my, my friends to be heard. And, um, you know, I worked very closely with a band called Yothi Indi who kind of spearheaded the whole idea of uh, singing in traditional language in this country. And they had a big hit called Treaty and that kind of went off internationally. And, you know, I've had these deep friendship so it was very much a collaboration of us coming together and saying look let's tell the story of the resistance let's try and get into some truth telling about what happened to this country and um and uh, re rethink the australian story really yeah i mean it's i'm fascinated by the story i mean granted i had heard you know back in elementary school back in the 60s and even the 70s in world history you hear about the british massacres and and you know, to to amass all of the territory of the Commonwealth, but never with the amount of detail that I have since tried to dig out. Because stories like this always fascinate me; they always have. Um, yeah. So to see this be brought to life with this much emotionality and authenticity is just stunning. You know, I'm really curious, you know, how logistically challenging was this film? Because here you are, you're out there in, in Plains area, you're, you've got underwater shoots, um, you're, you're up on cliffs, on rocks. So I'm curious, from a filmmaking standpoint, how logistically challenging was this? look extremely challenging but you know having grown up here and spent so much time on country and having such you know intimate and long friendships and trust and everything with the families and the, the traditional owners of, of all the country in the film you know we were given access to extraordinary places all of those places yeah. kind of were hooked in hooked in in a meaningful way to the storytelling a lot of the places had never been filmed before we were giving special permissions to be on that country yes it was very 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 difficult it was hot uh, it was challenging you know it was kind of under resourced ultimately it's not a uh, I think the film's got a, a nice big epic sort of feel about it but we certainly didn't have an epic budget so it was always about you know compromising and finding innovative ways to to try and be in the right place with the light and to, to get in I mean we were sung into country people you know in some of the places are very special so each crew member was you know kind of uh, put into the waters everyone was told about the story and how to respect the country um, ancestors were spoken to before we came into film so there's a beautiful kind of spiritual uh, kind of song being sung around the whole production everywhere we went so there's a lovely energy force kind of guiding us and taking us on, on, on the journey but yeah look it was it was hard yakka it was hot but everybody was so committed to telling this story and each, each you know each of the Ballander cast were really on a life changing journey they'd never seen or been immersed in, in indigenous well young we've been in culture like this before um, it's not the sort of experience many people get to have. Um, and uh, there's an intimacy there, there's an acceptance there, there's a learning there. And um, everyone had their own kind of special journey. So there was this incredible energy each day to 
to get there, to get there, to make this happen. And, um, you know, it was, it was beautiful in that way. And I mean, that, 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 you know, I think that just that heart, uh, uh, that everyone had for the, for wanting to make this happen, the determination, uh, was there to sort of overcome all obstacles and to just push it, push everyone to push themselves to the limit to make this happen. And, um, it was, yeah, it was a wonderful thing to be a part of. I would be remiss, Stephen, not to ask you about the casting and most notably this wonderful chemistry between Simon Baker and Jacob. Jacob. Beautiful. Oh, my God. He is, the, the camera loves him. He is magical. Isn't he magical? Isn't he beautiful? Here you go. We'll, we'll, I'll get through this for you. The whole relationship that you're seeing play out on the screen between Simon and Jake was all—it was kind of like a real-life relationship because he, you had this Hollywood movie star, you had a young kid from the bush uh, who had his royalty. He's like a prince. It was where, where the film is shot is on his grandfather's estate. Mm. I'd spoken to his grandfather 25 years earlier about telling the story of the resistance. He and I had sat down and discussed the idea making this film he wanted the story told I said let's do that old man he has passed away Jacob was born during the process of the making of the film and became the lead actor in the film so it's like the idea of this story predates his birth it's almost like he was sung into the role of this story that's how they're kind of seeing it in Arnhem Land but no with Simon and Jacob Simon had had never really been in that part of the world before so there was this beautiful on-screen, off-screen relationship, kind of love story, friendship, father-son thing that was playing out in real life, which is what was happening on the screen. There's a beautiful, respectful chemistry between the two of them. There was language uh, in the mix and there was guidance and, the you know, the role that Travis plays is this kind of stoic, kind of dark horse. But, you know, this young boy's looking at him, they're looking at each other, they're, they're kind of playing the game. And um, and that, that was actually how it was for the two of them. So it's, it's truthful, it's real. Um, and we just allowed that to unfold in a very natural way on the screen. And Simon was just beautiful the way that he, he nurtured and worked with Jacob and how Jacob accepted Simon and looked up to him and all of those kind of things just are there on the screen. It's, it's, there's a truth to it and um, uh, a journey that each, you know, Simon and Jacob were having as, and therefore Travis and Kuchuk. And as you say, it does play out on the screen. It's beautiful, it's understated, it's real. And um, there's an incredible truth to it all. It's really, really special. And you, Very proud of all of that. And you, you really see that in that third act, in the those final scene, in those final moments. Um, yeah. You see that bond. Yeah. One, one is saving that's one. One is saving the other, and the hands clasp. That shot that that Andrew gets of the hands holding hands in those yeah. final moments. Oh my God! Bring on the tissues! Yeah, Bring on the tissues because the <laughs> tears flow in that moment. Let me tell you. I mean, just oh, just that's so good to know. You know, one last. It was beautiful. See this. I'll just quickly put you in that moment. So, uh, Jacob's father had had passed away, and um, we sat down and had we had a discussion about things before we shot that scene, and we talked about how he had felt when his father had passed away. His father was called Lionel. He's called his little boy Lionel. We just talked about him and Simon, about loss, about ceremony, about um, Milkery, which is the, the 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 song lines that go with sorry business and connection reconnection to country and all this kind of stuff and he was just so in the moment with Simon there was genuine love and friendship and connection and he just tapped into something very deep within his own self as did Simon and um, it was like this as I say to you this real life uh, friendship playing out and um, you know each Simon and Jake were just emotionally connected to where they were in that moment and, and what it all meant to them both in different ways. And it was, yeah, very special. I was crying on the, on the day too. <laughs> I mean, just even thinking about it and talking to you about that moment, I'm tearing up. That's how powerful yeah. oh. that is. But one last question before I let you go, Stephen. Yeah. I could talk to you forever about this film, um, but... Yeah, no worries. I'm curious, you know, what did you 
takeaway from making this film, telling this story, that you will take with you into life, into future films that you make? Because this is such a powerful and important story. All right. Well, look, for me, I think through all of my experiences and my growing up and having having this incredible insight and connection to to uh, young and bidding people, which is ultimately a, a deep connection to myself, I've sort of figured about who I am and where I fit in in this world, and that I'm, you know, we are we're all human, and we all have that deep connection to country. We are all stardust. And what do I take away from this? I feel like it's very, very important to live my best life, to live my truth, to to pursue that each day when I wake up, and to see what's there before me, and just be honest and open to making sure I don't waste a moment, um, and and to to enjoy each day, to be honest and appreciate what is before me, and. Um, and that that's about seeing the world around you and knowing that you're a part of it. And it's a, it's a very beautiful place to be. We're blessed with the thing we call life. And there's a, there's a culture out there and a language and a song and a dance and art and a connection to the idea of that that is deep and human and alive. And um, it's a, something we could all learn, learn through, connect through uh, to who we all are for our own selves to be self you know to be a, to be yourself is the most beautiful thing and to be appreciated and seen in that way and respected in that way yeah this life is as important today what you're showing us it's as relevant today as it was when the massacres occurred back in 1919 well 100 100 in in some respects yeah absolutely yeah 100 and um i i just hope that the story, you know, over there, you're part of the world that, that that people will go and see the film and appreciate the film in perhaps the ways you have because it's it's hard to know how it'll go over there, you know. If, if for no other reason, it's a beautiful film to see. They'll walk away from yeah. a beautiful, a beautiful film. Um, <coughs> so uh, oh. that's good. That's Stephen, good. I can't thank you enough. Oh. This has been a delight. Oh, well, it's been lovely talking with you two. And look, hey, who knows, down the, the dreaming track of life, we might even get to say hi to each other one day. But lovely to talk to you. I love your energy on the phone. I can get you amazing person yourself. And um, thank you so much for your support and, and your lovely questions today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope I get to talk to you again in the future, Stephen. No worries. I'm always there for you. Just, uh, you know how to get hold of me. No problem. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Stephen. All right. You take care and have you a too. beautiful day there. Bye-bye. 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 Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> and that was Stephen Maxwell Johnson talking about high ground on demand VOD. This Friday, May 14th, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is an amazing, amazing film. It's a new, pers- it's a different perspective on events of the past. Um, I love different point POVs, and this is a really wonderful POV. And as you can, they can hear everything that Stephen went through and the sacred nature of shooting on these very lands where the the massacres and the frontier confrontations between the Aborigines, uh, Aboriginal people and the British occurred, um, the history, the culture, this is the root of the connection of, of man to life. Um, see it. You will absolutely be blown away. All right, and now we're going to shift gears, and we're going to, you going to bring them on for me, Pam? No, she's not? Okay, she's not. Okay. <laughs> and now we have those action guys themselves, Eric Silvera and Sean Keneally. Hi, guys. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Hello. Well, I am just 
raring to talk to you guys about inaction. Oh my god. All right. This film <laughs> is so much fun. Oh wow, thank, thank you, you thank so much. You. It is so much fun. The and I'm I'm very wow. happy to know already that we're getting a meta sequel. Um <laughs> Yes. Coming to a theater near you, exactly. <laughs> I watched to the very last credit. Uh, that, 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 that joke was for viewers like you that would actually watch all the way to the end. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I, and I seriously do want a sequel. This is so original. It is so creative. It is so inventive. Um, obviously, neither one of you were dropped on your heads as, as small children because your brains are really functioning <laughs> well here to come up with this film guys and it's your and it's your film (laughs) debut writers directors actors yeah we just decided to go for it for the first time tell the audience tell the listeners what this film is about without giving away your super duper twist yeah of course why don't don't you do Um, you're you're good at giving it up (laughs) (laughs) sure uh, so this is uh, an action comedy uh, about um, two friends that decide to write an over-the-top action script. They send uh, crazy emails back and forth about terrorism and explosions. And during their correspondence, the government actually flags their emails because they think what they're writing is the plan for an actual terrorist plot. Um, so they get kidnapped by the government. And while they're kidnapped, they get caught up in an actual terrorist situation and have to Become friends again and basically save the world. So that's uh, that's the elevator pitch for you. <laughs> and save themselves in the process. Yes, and save themselves. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Uh, action heroes always save themselves. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. first and foremost. Unless you're Bruce Willis up on an asteroid and then you just sacrifice yourself. Um, that's right, right. <laughs> but this is something the film nerd and all of us can really relate to this film. You guys pay homage to all of the big action blockbusters, action heroes. Um, You're wearing the Get to the Choppa. You've got uh, Arnold Images. You've got uh, Stallone as Rambo. Um, You bring in gorgeous little, you know, pencil storyboards. You've got Hans Gruber, you know, a bad guy, you know. You caught that. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I love it. You caught it. Oh, my God. How can you not? Um, you've got Hans Gruber in his famous falling from the top of the building, uh, down goes splat. Uh, we've got, um, we've got, you know, I'm too old for this. We've got Mel and Danny <laughs> as Merton Riggs. Uh, you've got, wow, you, you get an A plus. I think you've caught most references out of anyone we've spoken with. So. You <laughs> have everything in here. That in action, you're wearing it on, you're wearing t-shirts, you've got drawings, you've got animation. You've got animation in this. Yeah. (laughs) You guys left no stone unturned, but your love of action films clearly comes through loud and clear. Uh, Yeah, no, we both grew up on that genre, so it was... uh... We it, wanted, kind of, that we was love kind of the genre so much, and Eric and I met, and that's and that's how so. Sean and I met. Yeah, <laughs> Sean and I, of course, we're, you can tell we're good friends because we literally speak at the same time. Yes, the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's, and I'm, I, I'm a, I am a, no pun intended, a diehard action fan. Um, <laughs> you give me anything with Mel, especially if it's a naked butt, <laughs> Mel. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Naked Button Mel is the way to go. You yeah, know? <laughs> you know, give me, give me Rickman and Die Hard. Give me any of the Expendables movies, which I think what Sly did with those, especially in Expendables three, to have what eighteen action stars on screen in the same oh, film. Unbelievable. Uh, I have to tell you, when I, when I saw I saw Expendables two on opening day in Times Square in New York. And to this day, from like from from the from the last decade, that's still one of the top movie going experiences I had. People screaming and cheering, like popcorn in the air in the theater, just just so amped to see all those stars together on one screen. Uh, you know, it's an, it an incredible experience. Oh, I mean, it it just and you really speak to the action fan in all of us. 
with this film. But if anybody's looking for that $200 million Russo Brothers Avengers MCU film, that's not what they get. We get a totally stripped down two guys, the two of you. Basically, you elevate when your kids and your play acting and putting on plays for your parents and, and your grandparents. I don't know if kids do that anymore. You know, when I was a kid in the 60s. That's no, what, they do. They do. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's essentially you elevate that and you bookend this so that you're two guys and you're basically giving an interview and you're telling about this great adventure that you had. And you keep us guessing. You create an ambiguity so that we're not sure is this in their minds, are they telling us, is this their thought process for working through a story to come up with a script, or is this real? And you're wondering this for a good part of the film. It's like, God damn, they've got <laughs> imaginations to boot the band. Because in that, because you bring in your animation in those segments, and it's, you know, it's eye-popping, your primary colors, you've got your red, yellow, black, white um, you know, your traditional, you know, comic book action stuff, the the 1960s Batman stuff of boom, pow, whap. Right, um, right, right. So you play on that even. And you we get deeper into this, and you're it's essentially two guys. As we go from you sitting there regaling us into this being played out, um, it's, you design this very theatrically with a basic spotlight and a dark and negative space stage. So all the focus is on the two of you, almost as if you're in a pitch meeting. And, yeah. You're, yeah. and you're playing this all out. And you include, you've got blood splatter, and we never see the faces of your adversaries. We see yep. hands, we see the back of a head, we see a cowboy hat. We see boots coming in when your faces are stuck on the floor. Um, you're, you're crawling through oh, an air vent. John McClane would be proud. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you've got rats. I was waiting for snakes. A Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. I hate snakes, but rats. Ah, we, we, we threw in a rat. We hate rats line instead. Just a, a little twist on it. Just yes. <laughs> but I immediately thought Indy and snakes. But. Right, of course. But it's so visually what you do with your DP, with Mateo Marquez, in this staging, in the way it's shot, you really force our eye to pay attention to the two of you and what's happening as blood is shooting, but you can't see where the blood is coming from. And you hear a knife dropping or you hear your sound comes into play because of that great negative space you have. This is just, it is a dream come true. This is just fun to watch you guys play this out. Thank you so Thank much. You that so really much. means yeah. a lot. And it's funny we, that you I, mentioned earlier uh, that. This is, that you it's incredible to hear you say that. And um, it, it's something, you know, you, we worked on this project for, for six years and, Sean said to me, and in like late early 2014, I want to make an action movie with two people sitting in chairs in one room, just talking to each other for five thousand dollars. And I was like, I, I don't know what that means, Sean. But <laughs> we, we talked, and like it, he he explained kind of what you're saying, Debbie. You know, we use sound design and just you know quick editing. We can we can make it feel like an action movie. And I started seeing a car chase in my head, which is two of us in chairs. And then I said, I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. And then that set us up in this adventure to to make this kind of crazy two-person action movie idea come to life. The car chase segment where you, you guys have been kidnapped by the government and you're escaping. And the car chase segment just sitting there on the car seats um, is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Thank you. Because Thanks. we don't see steering a steering wheel. We just see the, the car seat and you guys sitting yeah. there. Um, yeah, it's funny. We uh, we actually like you, you mentioned earlier how we it kind of has a theatrical feel and we actually did a reading of this screenplay well before we filmed it in Eric's apartment and I remember when we read the car chase scene outside out loud and everyone was like you know I could really see it I think you guys could pull this off and I think hearing people's reaction to that was definitely almost like you know that was a uh, that was our uh, 
that kind of kicked us in the butt to think like, oh, you know, I think we can actually do this. So I'm so happy to hear that it works for you. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. And as we go into the into the third act where our, our twist is revealed uh, and we find out what's happening, then you shift your visuals again and you now bring in little models, just like, you know, stunt guys did for years yeah. <laughs> you use little matchbox cars and you position everything out but then you made little cutouts of your own little faces and you propped them up next to the cars and then you had a little <laughs> mini robocop toy um standing there by a police car uh, you go all out with this and, 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 and you wanted a little a little a little easter egg we had there the bodies that our faces are on those are my those are my toys from childhood one of them was a Rocky, and one of them was a Rambo um, body. Oh, we my God. Our faces on top of it. This is like a little thing for us to know. That <laughs> I we, love we it. We became the toy figures. <laughs> I love it. But I'm looking at all of this, and what this also does, what it does is because this is how a lot of films have been pitched over the, over the decades. Um, mm. You're using little matchbox cars. You're using little cutouts. You're using drawings before everything became computerized, digitized, and free-flowing money was abounding. This is right. what you did to create tactile, tangible, you know, ways of telling your story to get it made. And I, I, the way you embrace that is just, it's wonderful. It is wonderderful. Thank you. You know, one, yeah, we, 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 knew, we, we knew definitely we had, had a little budget, we, we, so we, we went for it. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. low budget, no budget, micro budgets. It is amazing. You know, and your film is another example. You know, the boys that did Primer a number of years ago, 7500 bucks, I think right, it was. Um, yep. there, there have been some films that have come out. It doesn't, when you're creative and you take a look at everything you have at your disposal, what do you do? How do you make it work? You really make it work. If you were on Project Runway, Tim Gunn would be applauding you. <laughs> you know, you make it yeah, we get, work. Got to get Tim Gunn for the sequel now. He would be a great villain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you realized you could pull it off, how did you, because it's also, it, your production design, I know you shot, and I love this part of your end credits, where you're showing the before and after of where your sets are. You know, the office setting, and then, you know, what you did to it to, to make it work for the film. And it is, it, yeah. it, it's a testament, a testament to you and your production design team to pull this off and yeah. change up those looks and make it work. So once you realized you could make this film, where do you start? Where do you start cinematically to pull this thing together? That's that's a that's a great question. I, I think you know we um, I think we we started fairly easy with all right. We we know you know because we because we were we actually filmed it. You, know, you mentioned the office. That's that's the office where um, where I work, and so. We were like, all right, how do we make this come to life? How do we just, we, we started with the therapy scene just because we knew that was going to be, in terms of filming, the easiest thing to do because we would, you know, we, we, we filmed with a couple of different angles, but in the end we went with just that, that kind of that first pull back into a, the, mm -hmm. you know, the wide shot of just sure. the two of us sitting on the couch. And we're like, all right, let's start there to make sure that we can craft the story and see if it comes to life because there's, there's not that much to do in terms of the production values. <laughs> and then once we feel good about, like, yeah, we can turn this, this room into a therapy office, what else can we turn it into? And then you just start looking around your office, and you're like, okay, well, that can be a bar, and that can be a, a hotel room. And we already have a bathroom and a conference room and a, and a small office here, so we don't need to do that. And you just start to figure out, okay, like, how, do we, how can we make this turn into something? And then, you know, Sean and I would, I would, Sean would come to the office, and he would look with me and be like, I see it too. And then we would bring in Mateo, like, um, our DP, and our production designers, Tara Keegan and, um, and uh, Carly. Oh my God! I, I, you know, I've been showing my last name. I can't. I want to give her credit. Uh, Carly Delmora. Thank you, thank you. Um, and then we would have them take a look, and they'd be like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, we think let's put a fake wall here, and let's uh, let's start to frame it from this way." And, and then you just start to realize, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make it work. And um, 
And you just have to you just have to believe you can do it, even if they're looking at you like you're crazy. Like when you tell people you're going to make a, a car chase in the middle of the office uh, and just put black all around us and put a car seat. And they're like, why don't they're like, why don't you just go into a car and we'll kick it and we'll make it move? or We'll put it by a green screen. And we're like, no, 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 no. The point is to show you can make a car chase that's fun and silly and like action packed and hilarious and make it feel like it's moving. You can suspend the disbelief somewhat. If you, you know, and that was our goal. And so once we put all those pockets together, we had to convince them for that piece. Um, but, you know, you start small and just expand outwards. And just and you have to just believe in yourself. When everyone's looking at you, you're like, what? You're like, no, no, it can work. Trust me. And then you give, like, <laughs> comps. And so cases, there are no comps to what you're doing. So you then just try and make them see another example that can work. Well, and a big part of that, once you came up with this design, in order to make this, quote, unquote, action-packed and energetic, um, going beyond the energy the two of you have on screen is your editor, um, William. No, it's uh, unbelievable. Oh my God, William Naraki, what he does with the editing—you've got jump cuts, fast cuts. Um, he knows pacing. He really makes it work here. But he's also very good at picking the camera angle to vary yeah. things up for us so that we're not looking at the same thing. So this is where Mateo's work and, and Williams go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we would have them, you know, Billy came on board after, but we would have them talk sometimes even in post-production just to think that we, we you know, because like, Mateo actually was our, our colorist as well. And so sometimes we would have them talk about, like, the color, and then Billy could ask him a question, like I said, about the angle. It was just something, and then we would start to look back at footage to find out maybe what else we could use to make it work. Um, so, you know, we, there was a kind of a constant dialogue throughout the throughout the whole piece of that, that carried over from you know production into post with, with some of our crew and some of our team yeah i mean the yeah, e- and billy, and it's the editing is sharp it's i'm saying it's very sharp it's rapier uh, with a lot of these cuts yeah yeah he was he, definitely um, our guardian he, angel <laughs> <laughs> he was and when, was I, when i when i we, um, we, I when, when we, we interviewed, interviewed him, him we, you know, we told him, we said, listen, we made a, two, a, a two-person action movie. He's like, what? But he read the script, and we, he, he saw it. We had a website, with, and like an, we had a, an old prototype footage. And like we, we just showed him a few old things. He's like, I think I can make this work. He's like, so what should we do? We were like, well, think of the movie My Dinner with Andre, but then imagine that movie edited like it was a Michael Bay film. And he was like, okay, okay, I think I can make that work. And he really, he really did. Oh, my God. You know, when did you decide to incorporate, you know, with this already very creative and original idea and uh, stylization, when did you decide to bring in animation? Because I I was not expecting that, and that was a really great surprise, and that added more energy. Definitely, yeah. I think pretty early on we knew animation would have to be part of it, um, even when writing the script, we had two, we had, I think we had two big set pieces that, you know, even with our budget, we just knew wouldn't be possible. <laughs> um, the first one was kind of like a Eric daydreaming and like a, a helicopter, like crashing and him saving someone. And the other one was like kind of an elevator exploding and me rescuing someone. And, you know, I think the most, the most, sorry, you go, Eric. Well, I wasn't saying anything. No, no, but no. I, yeah. He's just making noises. So yeah, I think those two, I think with those two, we wanted to, like, like you were saying, kind of, like, incorporate, like, the fun aspect and the idea of, like, using multimedia in the film. But we also, we knew that animation would bring certain things to life that we just could never do with our budget. <laughs> and I think we, we were thinking about the animation in two ways, too. One where, it's, you, know, you know, you called out kind of the different colors and the way we shaped it. And we were like, you know, one animation sequence, takes place as a fantasy while my character's daydreaming. So let that be like cartoonish and as mm-hmm. ridiculous as it can be. And, you know, I'm going bald, but my character, he's a hero. So he has long flowing hair. We're like, let's, let's play, let's have fun with that. And then we knew the other sequence was supposed to be like more gritty in action. So let's go black and white. Let's do like a Robert Rodriguez style Sin City thing where it's black and white, but then you see red for blood. And that's how we started to kind of separate them in our brains too of um, how to make them feel differentiated in, in the film. And it works really well, and that's part of what adds um, it, that sense of ambiguity in the, first, in the first half of the film. You know, is this all a dream? Is the, are they just working out story de- details, or is this really happening? 
You uh, are you are making Sean's day right now because this has literally <laughs> been his comment from the beginning of like, I want people not to know whether or not this is real or fake or whether this is in the heads or whether they're crazy or whether they're actually really happened. <laughs> so it's, it's exciting to hear you say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't. Yeah, you know, it, it's a guessing game because, you know, and you're wondering, OK, they're sitting on a shrink's couch. Have they gone over the edge? Are they really <laughs> just they're goners? They're in therapy. Uh, so I and I love that. And then as you see it play, and I, I love the fact you bring Walmart in, and it just and I noticed in your Walmart set you did turn all the product labels around backwards so that nobody can see the product labels, so you didn't have to worry about product placements and license fees. Yeah, we tried to be yeah, careful we, with that. We were like, we could. <laughs> you were very. We al- you were on top of that. You really were. We always said if we got to, we always said if we got to the point that somebody was upset by it, then we're doing pretty well. We've come pretty far, but at the same time, we just never wanted to, to run that risk yeah. of it happening. Even see, even with our computers, we put like you know instead of it being like an Apple computer, you would just you know put like an orange over it or like a, a strawberry or something, just so people would couldn't actually call that out you know <laughs> well there's another there's another element of the film that you didn't overlook and that's your music um mm. ha, where did music come into and kevin Prokop's um, musical work come into play in the development and create and creation of in action yeah it's funny with kevin's actually a he's actually a high school friend of mine so even when eric and i were writing this I mean, I always I was I was kind of dreaming of asking Kevin because he's a you know he's in the film score world and he's he's done a bunch of projects and I, I've always wanted to collaborate with him on something. So even when we were writing, I was telling Eric like I think I think I know somebody that can do a really really great score for this, someone that probably wouldn't work with us under normal circumstances. <laughs> so um, he was kind of he was like in our he was in our minds even in the writing process. And then when we finally did get to speak with him, he's a big action fan as well. So he, he jumped on board right away. And he, you know, he, he got, he loved like the John Carpenter 80 synthesizer stuff. And he was so excited. And he, we had so many phone calls with him just kind of working through the scenes and um, kind of like with Billy and Mateo, he was definitely integral in bringing this to life for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause I, I'm picking up like some Hans Zimmer kind of crap in there too. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's a he's a big fan of Hans, and he mentioned, uh, you know, we were like, we were like, you know, we like the, we want like a synth element to some of this stuff. He's like, cool. He's like, I really like Hans Zimmer, Alan Silvestri, and there was one other. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's James Horner. There was one other um, big composer that he cited too that he would he would include as, in the mix for people to pick up on. Yeah, and I just want everyone to know Hans Zimmer's stuff is not crap. I'm just using the term in general to lump everything here. <laughs> I love I love Zimmer as a composer. I love his work. <laughs> Um, but it's just, but this is just, you know, you hit, you know, all the notes, you pulled in all the tools in the toolbox. So now because (laughs) you're also starring in this, you wrote, you directed, all right, how scripted was this? How closely did you adhere to dialogue and how were you changing hats between director, writer, and actor? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think we actually, I think we, we, I say Eric is definitely more of the improviser than, than I am. So he would definitely throw some things on set where I just had no idea what he was going to do next that I would just roll it. <laughs> so he definitely kept me on my toes. But I think for the most part, we stayed, we stayed pretty loyal to the script. And I think what helped with that is we had an acting coach on set that uh, kind of really, you know, when we had the chance to not work on the lighting and when we weren't talking with our DP, he would take us aside and like help us run lines and really kind of make sure that we weren't neglecting the acting part of it because you know we were we were very spread thin on we had a great team but we were also very spread thin on set so sure. having an acting coach there really was essential to make sure we could still make the scenes fly. Yeah, yeah, and a big thing with that was you know we we did, we would do rehearsals you know day, days and weeks into you know because we shot on weekends over spread out over time we would do rehearsals several times before we went on to the set. So that we could actually focus on the, the filmmaking piece and, and be really comfortable when it came time to actually shoot. And so some of the imp- improvisation happened during rehearsals. So we would be doing stuff, and then you know, like shows that I sometimes I would just start to go off on a tangent, and then we'd be like, "Oh, that can work. Let's readjust the script right now. Let's readjust this section right now." And then um, we you know we won't have to do that as much on set. 
Um, but then at the same time, you know, like like the first time when we saw our designer built like um, you know C4, it looked like pound cake. And I literally was like, I, I can't. Did you know C4 looked like pound cake? You know, like some things like were just um, part of uh, you know happened organically on as we were filming. But it was definitely um, a lot of it is, is very well thought out too. Most of it was very well well thought out. Well, I have to say, I think it yeah. is. I think it's safe to say that there is no film in the history of film that has. A, a toilet being visibly visibly flushed as many times as this film, and we also have never really seen. I mean, yes, we we've seen. Oh my God. We've seen Nick Cage. Can we put that on the poster. I love that. Yes, you may. Um, <laughs> we, we've seen Nick Cage reading a paper sitting on a toilet when he gets a call from Air Force One in guarding Tess with Shirley MacLaine, <laughs> but we don't see people coming up with ideas sitting on the toilet. Um, and utilizing it at the same time. Uh, so. yeah, we, you know, we, we, we thought about that as like a weird character thing. You know, we, because we knew we had limited locations where these, these guys could be talking to each other. We wanted to make it like, you know, Sean's character is a stay-at-home dad. His wife is, a, you know, a big corporate woman, and he has two small daughters. And, and, Sean, and, and Eric's character is a guy that's about that big, but he's working all the time. So we're like, what is this guy's life? What are their lives like? For Sean, he's taking care of the kids, he's in the kitchen, and he's, you know, in the living room and a playroom, and he's, back, and, and he's just in, at home, and that's his world. And for Eric, to make a counterpart, you know, of someone who's opposite, it was his, his world is he's inside an office, and he's inside the, the bathroom of his office, too. And that's, like, his world. He eats, and he poops, and he works. Um, and they need each other to kind of find themselves again. And, of course, the only time that Eric can get any privacy to talk to Sean about developing this screenplay is if he's in the bathroom because he can't do it while he's at his <laughs> desk because his boss is going to see and hear him and he's going to get fired. So, yeah, right. perfect. It works. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, exactly. yeah, that's a true story, too, because we both work full-time day jobs, so occasionally we have to, you got to sneak out to have your creative phone calls during the day sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So now that you have had all your creative phone calls, now that you have made this film, and although I will say, although we don't have a naked Mel Gibson butt in the film, we do have <laughs> the two of you sitting there tied to chairs in your underwear. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you've covered everything. You have hit all, you know, everything, boys. But now that this is it's coming out, Tomorrow, everybody can see in action. What have you learned as filmmakers that you will now be able to use to make this meta sequel or something else? <laughs> well, I think, you want to go first? I think, yeah, sure. I think, you know, I think Eric touched upon this a little bit. I think, and it might sound, you know, really corny but um you know we've been working on this project for about seven years and we had a lot of people we told this to and a lot of people just shook their heads at us and said i don't think so and we really just kind of stuck with our guns i mean we we did we we really made an effort to listen to everyone we talked to and always get notes and always collaborate but we also knew to trust ourselves and we had a lot of people that said like this really is not going to go anywhere and at kind of every stage and we just kept going with it because we trusted it and we were having fun with each other. And we just tried to keep surrounding ourselves with people that were also excited and believed in the project. And, yeah, we just we just kind of really just didn't let anything get us down. And it was definitely an uphill battle. But I'd say, like, you know, for our next project, we're just going to do our best to keep listening to people, but also just trusting our guts. And for yeah. the other one? Um, I... I you know, Sean actually he really nailed it. I was like, Oh, that sounded so good, I didn't want to say anything else. But I I, <laughs> I think um, you know, we I think we just have a, uh, the trusting our gut is a big thing and I think the other thing is, you know, we we know, you know, that you know, filmmaking is and you hear people say this all the time, it's like a miracle to get done. And um I think, you know, for us like the mis the mis any kind of mistake we made um, was just as beneficial or maybe turned into a happy accident or took us in a direction that we maybe didn't think we wanted to go, but we should ultimately go. I think, I think um, sometimes learning to like being okay with making mistakes and then learning from it and moving forward um, is, it was a big lesson for us. And um, I, I honestly, that kind of applies to anything in life. Um, but I think especially with filming, being, you know, making our, our, our feature, you know, our first feature film, um, I think that's applicable. And that's something that we'll just take with us as we as we move forward well 
I, for one, I want a meta sequel. I, I want to see <laughs> what you guys do next. Oh, this has been so much fun having you on the show today. Sadly, we are out of time. Uh, I'm over in time again, as usual. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> oh, my God. This is, this is just fabulous. This is a fabulous way to start the week. Let me tell you, talking to you guys. You have no, to... we're pumped. We, we, were, we were very excited to talk to you, so we appreciate you having us on. And we, we, re- we really appreciate how much you love the movie and how, how much you got it. You know, sometimes you know, people are like, what? what? I don't, it's just you guys talking, sitting around. But then, like, film fans and, like, action film fans really kind of got what we're going for. And it's exciting to hear you say that. So thank you so much. And you even remembered to blink when blood was being splattered so it didn't land in your eye. <laughs> that was very impressive. <laughs> I, I, I just want you to know that. I want you to know I was impressed by that talent. You can add that to your resume. Shuts his eye when blood <laughs> is you. being splattered. You know. Guys, oh, my God. You have to come back on the show again. You have to come back. Um, thank you. Thank anytime you, so you want to sign, we'll be there. Thank you so much. Oh, guys, thank you so much. Eric Silvera, Sean Keneally, in action. Everyone can see it tomorrow digitally on every platform. You got it. Right. That's thank great. You, everyone, thank you very much. Guys, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. And yes, that was Eric and Sean, writers, directors, actors. Of the hilarious comedy action film, In Action. Um, It really is. It is so creative, the way they have put this film together. Uh, Please, see it. See it. Sit at home at night when you're awake at 1 in the morning. Gone out for a few drinks. You've got to have something to watch. (laughs) Watch this. You'll laugh even harder. Um, That is all the time we have today. Complete high ground Friday. See it, see it, see it. It is one of my must-see films of the year. In action. You will not go wrong with that. Next week, we're going to be laughing a lot next week, too, because we've got Paul Tanter, director of Stealing Chaplin, a comedy actually based on the real theft of Charlie Chaplin's body. Uh, from his grave in Switzerland. Uh, only the location shifted to Las Vegas uh, for movie purposes. But the whole idea for the film is based on the true event, uh, I think 1978. But, yeah, so Paul Tanter will be here with us next week. So until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Behind the Lens.